Hello and welcome to our podcast at Get Legally Speaking. Our legal conversation today will be on exams and education during the crisis. I am joined by Barrister Emma Waldron from Three Paper Buildings Chambers in London. Emma specialises in education law and she is regularly instructed to appear in the High Court and the Upper and First Tier Tribunals. Emma's expertise includes working on cases with complex issues and she has a strong knowledge in representing matters involving individuals' special educational needs and those that have an intense sensitive nature. Emma has proven to have a second to none ability of understanding of her clients and this challenging area of law. Emma, thank you ever so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Hattie. Um, And I have to say, I'm really pleased that we're talking about this because there's lots and lots of people that that want answers, are looking for answers. And it seems like the exam and education world at the moment is in utter, utter chaos. Um, On the 18th of March 2020, it was decided by the government that exams were going to be cancelled due to the COVID crisis. The Office of Qualifications and Examinations Regulation, Ofqual, were brought in to deal with the exam marking on an algorithm basis. Yes. As a result of this marking system, nearly 40% of marks were downgraded from the students' teachers' predictions, with high-achieving pupils from schools in deprived areas being disproportionately affected. So England is facing a crisis of confidence in its exam grading, which is causing, I cannot imagine, the amount of distress to students um, and uncertainty for schools, colleges, universities. Thousands of people remain uncertain about which university they will end up at. Um, And universities and education centres have been thrown into chaos. Yes, I mean, it's been described in the media as a fiasco, and I don't use that term lightly at all, but um, I think that's what we're looking at in terms of A-level um, marketing results. It, it, it is a fiasco. Um, Hattie, you're completely right in terms of the algorithm and, and the background that you've set out there. Um, it stems all the way back to March. Um, just to sort of add a bit of flesh to the bones there in terms of um, how this situation arose, Um, Schools were asked to provide what's called a centre-assessed grade, um, commonly referred to as CAG, um, for each student. And that was accompanied by something called a rank order. Um, And I think it's important that students understand this because if they're not satisfied with the results that they've achieved, um, these these are pieces of information that they can get from their school. So centre-assessed grade and rank order. Um, The centre assessed grade effectively, Hattie, was the grade that the school or college believes a student would most likely had achieved if they had sat an assessment. And so that was looking at things like assignments, homework, mock results um, and things of that nature. Teachers were then given this, I have to say, almost impossible task, incredibly difficult task of not only giving us a, a grade to students, but placing them in a rank order which is exactly what it says on the tin. So um, students were given within each grade in a subject um, an order based on where the the teaching staff felt um, who was most secure in achieving that that grade. So it it was literally one, two, three, four, all the way down for that year group. Um, Brutal system and placed, I think, an enormous amount of stress and strain on on teachers at a really, really difficult time for everybody. Um, And also within a... I was just going to say, Emma, within a short time frame. So they had the time, the the, the pressure of time was there as well. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I appreciate that there was some consultation in respect of all of this. But as you've identified, Hattie, this, these are things that were having to be determined at very, very short notice indeed. So once a school or a college, um, so that's what I'm, I'm talking about when I'm talking about centres, once a school, college, centre had devised their, their lists of centre assessed grades and their rank orders, that then gets sent to the examination boards. And then there's this standardisation process that you've already spoken about, the algorithm. And the rationale behind that was to um, effectively ensure that there was some form of standardisation across centres, across colleges, across schools. I think there was a concern that teaching staff may use this situation to somehow inflate their cohorts' grades. Uh, so I appreciate why it was felt that there was that need for a standardisation. Um, the difficulty, of course, is, as you've, you've set out really clearly in the introduction to, to this podcast, um, it, it led to really perverse results. Uh, and, and part of the problem with that is that historical data was looked at over the course of, of three years from a centre. Um, and on the 13th of um, August, Thursday the 13th, that was when we had A-level results day. And I think that was the, the, the point at which the scale of this problem really came to the fore. And I think, I think it's important just to say that one of the things that was looked at when the government was looking at whether, you know, Ofqual and the algorithm system was going to be a viable option is that they say or they have said that in the past, having teachers' predictions be the basis for exam results have proven that, as you have said, that sometimes teachers have inflated actually what the student is likely to get uh, for various reasons and therefore that has proven not to be the most reliable source of marking rather you know if you're if you're comparing it to the actual exam being taken and the actual exam being marked i mean the reason why and i think it's important to outline outline this as well that it has created a, a huge disproportionate um effect knock-on effect from children and and schools people from deprived areas is because if the school has historically not done so well and then your mark is being based on what your school has achieved rather than you as the individual student that's where the disproportionality has come in that's absolutely right. And this was something that was picked up by, uh, on by students um, well in advance of the A-level results coming out. And um, had you might have read about the case um, of Lexi Bell and her father, Michael Bell. Yes, I um, did. Yeah, so Lexi was a very high achiever in a school where no candidate had before her achieved top grades in subjects that she was studying. Yes. So under the algorithm, it was quite apparent that she would be one of those students because she's a, a, a statistical anomaly, as it were. Um, she was going to be one of those students who would be um, marked down because of the historical data of her school. So um, uh, judicial review proceedings were, were instigated there and um, Lexi and her father very successfully crowdfunded to, um, to to fund that litigation 
Um, and it was that and um, I think a number of other ju potential judicial review actions that I, I think um, may have had an impact. I couldn't say definitely did have an impact in the government um, uh, making its decision to U-turn on a On the 17th, 17th mm. of August, the government said we're going to U-turn on this. Um, and rather than have this algorithm system uh, having marked everybody, we're going to say, no, we're going to have the, the teacher's predicted scores or the algorithm mark come through as the final mark, whichever is higher. Yes. So I have to say, you know, the governments are clearly stuffed up. Some <laughs> a few people stuffed up here in, in, in saying that let's just base it on what schools do historically, the algorithm system. It didn't work. It just didn't work. But however, in trying to come out of that, I think that perhaps the government's saying, right, okay, well, let's go back to the teachers, see what the teachers are going to give you as your grade. Whichever is higher, we'll take that. I mean, there's still going to be disproportionality out there, I think, even with that kind of structure now, Emma, because there's still going to be, you know, because you can take the higher grade, if you have gone to a great school and your school has historically done really, really well, and you were not really heading for the best grades, and your teacher will say, well, I think this student was likely to get sort of C's and B's, but the algorithm gave you A's and A's because of what the hist history of your school, that disproportionality, I think, in some cases, may still exist and may still be there. I mean, it's extraordinary mm -hmm. because the government... Um, has apologised. Gavin Williamson MP apologised for the hurt caused to pupils by the chaos. Um, and then yesterday, which was the 25th of August 2020, uh, of course, Chief Regulator Sally Colliher quits, as reported in the Sky News, um, and says that she needs to allow for new leadership so that the next stage of awarding process would be better overseen um, over the exams controversy. So yes. how, tell, let's talk about students here. Let's talk about how people, what's the real situation? How have they been affected? If we ha you know, what can they do okay. if they feel that these algorithm marks, they're in the middle of this fiasco, trying to get marks out, obviously trying to, they're trying to enroll to university and colleges and all sorts of things. Let's talk about that a bit. Absolutely. So I think the first issue um, that needs to be to be raised is that this process has caused um, an inordinate uh, an inordinate amount of stress to um, students, and the delay in the uh, government making its U-turn decision. On the face of it, you think, well, it's five days. Um, how how harmful can can a five day delay be? Well, in the fast paced nature of education five days um, during the summer holidays, during a time when universities are making their offers to students, five days can be crucial. So I think what we're finding is a lot of students are missing out on certainly their first place of university. Uh, and for some, they're missing out altogether. Students have had to go into clearing where actually had, had their results been properly marked first time round, had they got the grades that they ought to have had first time round, they wouldn't have entered clearing. They wouldn't have had to have deferred, lots of students having to defer their university placement um, to the next academic year. And so, we'll talk about the problems that that's going to bring up after yeah. this so it's created a great deal of uncertainty. I think it's um, students themselves have felt that the process has been incredibly unfair. They don't feel that they have been um, sort of um, adequately consulted over these issues. They don't feel that they've been listened to. And that does undermine public confidence. In terms of 
what students can do right now because um, uh, I think that that's probably one of the most important things that we're going to discuss this morning. Yes. The first thing is that if, if a student is still unhappy with the result that they have been given, there is an appeals process. And um, the guidance published by Ofqual on this is actually relatively helpful. So I would say to any students that are listening, um, that is your starting point. Go to the Ofqual guidance to, um, to, to, to figure out what are the bases upon which you might be able to appeal your exam results effectively um if if you feel that there has been an administrative error in the grading um then you you may well have grounds to appeal the grade that you've been given um but if doing a little bit of crystal ball gazing here for a moment hattie and just looking at the legal landscape going forwards what do i think are going to be challenges that schools or colleges may face well, I think if there is any sort of evidence of bias, discrimination or wrongdoing um, on the part of, of, of grading that teachers have um, made, then that is going to cause uh, schools and colleges, um, I think, a, a, a great deal of difficulty because it is, I think, foreseeable that there may be negligence claims brought against schools. Um, yes, Mistakes are made, unfortunately. And in this particular scenario, uh, all it really takes is for a college to um, or, or school to get a grade written down wrong on a form. <laughs> um, and, and the rest of that, um, that people's future could be quite, quite seriously adversely affected. So there are potentially private law remedies available to students in negligence. But I'd say before embarking on um, litigation, it's absolutely worth raising your concerns with, with the school. And what schools um, do need to do is if they are faced with what looks to be um, a subject access request, so a student is asking about data that concerns them, um, they, they are under an obligation to disclose to that student um, their centre assessed grade. I mean, by now they should already, um, you'd expect a student would already know that, but they, they should be providing that student with a centre assessed grade, any comments they've made in relation to that centre assessed grade, and also generally the rank order, although that can pose a problem if you have a very small school, because imagine you've only got two students doing um, a particular subject. If you disclose the rank order, um, you're going to be disclosing another student's data as well. So that's the one area, I think, where, uh, where schools might need to exercise a little bit of caution. Um, but that's just a flavour, I think, of some of the um, sort of litigation that we may see being brought by students in the future. Um, and it would be litigation which really is addressing their lost opportunity, the fact that they have not been able to get to the university that they wish to go to, the fact that they've not qualified um, in, in the time scale that they had set out in their own mind. So we're looking at things like loss of a chance, really, loss of employment um, for potentially a year, um, things of that ilk. Um, potentially personal injury claims for, for the kind of um, stress that this has caused to pupils if they've suffered some sort of recognised psychiatric illness. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting time ahead. No, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really important to say, you know, before anybody 
looks at launching a legal claim against their education centre, be it the college, the school or the university, try to resolve it internally. Because I'm absolutely sure that education centres, and I'm just using the term education centres for all of the, you know, all of them, are desperately trying to resolve this issue. They are not in a position, they are not in a situation that they wanted to find themselves in. And one of the things that we mentioned earlier was that um, some students uh, may be able to defer their their uh, year to next year, but then you've got the, we were saying this earlier, that you've got the students that will be applying for next year's entries who may be put out because you've got this year's entries doubling up on next year. Yeah, I find this a really interesting um uh, area to be honest with you Hattie because um, you're quite right a, a lot of universities are saying we will honour the offer that we've given to you if we can't accommodate you this year then you can defer and we will honour your place next year I think that that that's a really proactive step that universities are taking recognising that this is just a horrible situation for this particular cohort um, and, and this particular time at this particular time the difficulty of of course doing that is what you're doing is when next year's applicants come to apply the number of places has shrunk considerably yes um so it disadvantages those students and i i i wonder if those particular students um made themselves feel quite quite disgruntled by that and seek some sort of public law remedy um via judicial review i don't know um and it's an interesting topic and something that we'll just need to keep an eye on and universities Um, are offering money some universities have been i mean i've read that they're offering money to students to say look you know just defer defer your placement just wait hold out for a year because we we you know the financial impact on students that have geared everything up to go to their university this year if they can't go this year and they're missing a year of education which then has you know can they afford to miss the year of education what's you know is it you know when you when you have a year out putting it in simple terms you've had a break from education whereas you're fresh off the trot at the moment ready to go full steam ahead and continue your 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 next you know years of what's to come i mean what is that going to look like the financial impact is a completely separate you know different side of things that will have an effect Absolutely. And, and not just affect on those students, but also potentially their families who um, might be facing an additional year of that, um, uh, of their, their sons or daughters living at home that they weren't necessarily anticipating. Um, there's also obviously the difficulty more, more generally of um, the labour market um, not being in a particularly buoyant position right now absolutely absolutely you know previously perhaps if these students were faced with uh, the prospect of having to defer they might think to themselves oh well you know I'll go and get some relevant um experience in in the kind of career that I think I might want to go into in the future that might not be an option for lots of students so um I really can see how potentially negligence actions either against um, the Secretary of State for Education or Ofqual, something of that ilk, may may well be contemplated by a a lot of students going forward who have suffered, um, I think, real hardship financially because of this decision um, and because of this, quite quite frankly, um, uh, fiasco in terms of A-level results. On the 19th of August, the Labour Party called the algorithm... um, at the centre of the grading crisis, unlawful. Was it unlawful? Really interesting question. Um, I think the answer to that at the moment is it's too early to say. Um, 
I, I am concerned that there were perhaps some early warning signs that this algorithm was going to lead to um, some some odd results, some manifestly unfair results. Um, and that is going to be an interesting question going forward. I know that Ofqual um, is, is um, I think, uh, facing an independent inquiry into this, um, which is, is, I think, not surprising, really. Um, so it's, it's one to watch. Well, I have to say, I mean, I will read reports that the government did everything it could to make sure that this process of algorithm marking was going to be the right way forward. Um, I read that the ministers actually quizzed Ofquel over and over again to ensure that what was going to be delivered was going to be the best that, that could be delivered. So, I mean, in a way, I hear what you're saying. You know, there was concerns raised prior to it all going ahead. But in a way, I, I almost feel for the government in a way, because if they did everything they could to make sure it was going to be OK and put, in, put into place and d- delivered in a way which was going to work, and then it didn't work um, and it didn't work badly. It wasn't just, oh, well, you know, there's been a bit of an issue here. It's been it's been a, a huge issue. Um, you know, students may have to start looking at legal options if they cannot remedy uh, these situations directly with their education centres, maybe because the education centres are being so overwhelmed with what's going on, unsurprisingly. Um but what what options, what legal avenues are open to students? Emma, I know we've touched on on a few things already. We talked about crowdfunding, for example, in, in a specific case. And if a student really, really says, do you know what? I've tried to do with my education centre. It's not it's just not working. I can't get what I what I believe I should have got as a grade. You know, I've got huge losses as a result, emotionally, financially, um, what what can somebody do, particularly if you've got no money for litigation? Because we're talking about students who, you know, most of the time, most students, um, you know, don't work because it's it's such a, you know, studying is a very, very serious thing. And as you mm. pointed out, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There are, there are redundancies being made like nobody's business, week in, week out. Yeah. So to go out and then try and find a job to say, even if it's to try and cover the year ahead, if people are saying, well, I'm going to take the year out because I do want my first choice um, and I have to fight this grading system before I even can even be considered by a university to get, get to my first choice. What can a student doesn't have the money to litigate? What kind of options could be out there? So um, I think there are a handful of options available. Um, the First question is, what sort of a remedy is it that the people seeking? Is it a public law remedy or a private law remedy? Because that can impact the type of funding agreements that um, may be available um, or funding arrangements that may be available for a student. So if a, a student was seeking judicial review, then it might be the case that some sort of legal aid is available to them. I don't profess to be an expert when it comes to legal aid funding and eligibility, um, but that is something that, that students may, may wish to explore if what they're looking to do um, is, is bring some sort of judicial review. As I've highlighted, I think one of the issues here, though, is going to be negligence actions, and, and that's a, a, a private law remedy. So if students were contemplating that avenue and seeking financial compensation for what, is, what has happened, 
the, the options for them become slightly more limited. So um, they may be able to find solicitors that are prepared to act on a no-win, no-fee basis. Um, at, at the moment, I'm not aware of solicitors who are prepared to do that, but this is such a, a, a new... So new. It's fresh. Yeah. It's fresh. Um, so there's that option. And obviously, crowdfunding that I've spoken about previously. Um, crowdfunding has been used, I think, in, in this particular sphere to great effect. And if there are a number of students that are thinking about some sort of joint action, um, crowdfunding may well be the way to go. It's an interesting one for me because being a practitioner um, in this field for, for nine years, when I started out, crowdfunding was just not something that was ever done. Um, but it's isn't really, it, uh, really it's, gained it's amazing. popularity. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing that crowdfunding can be available for something like this. And I think that I think it's brilliant that it is because if there is an absolute just cause, it's allowing that person or those people, as you said, if it's a group litigation that's being considered to get access to justice, to try to get access to justice and what a great thing in the sense that you know if you don't have the money that you're not going to be kicked to the curb with no option it could be an option yeah absolutely yeah Great, Emma, that's all we've got time for. And I have to say, what an explosive podcast. And, you know, watch this space because I definitely think we need to do a part two to this. So I've already reeled you in on that. Love to. Uh, <laughs> I think that we have to look at what this landscape is doing in the next coming weeks um, and put out some further useful information that students, that education centres and everybody that chooses to listen to us can hopefully get some really useful information their hands on some and ears on some really useful information to help them during these challenging times. Um, and, you know, what I will say is thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Hattie. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Emma. And I will say to our listeners, don't forget to click and subscribe to our podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube by searching Get Legally Speaking. Also visit our website at getlegallyspeaking.com. Thank you very much for listening.